The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. So last week, we saw David was in the pits, right? And we, we saw how to like approach that. And what do you do when you're in the pits? This week, we see Saul go to the pit, okay? And so we're going to learn about the uh, the Bible, if you have a heading in there, it's called the Witch of Indoor. Indoor sound familiar? You know where Indoor is, right? You know about Indoor? It's where the Ewoks are from. <laughs> right? Out <laughs> of Return of the Jedi. No, there's this uh, Indoor, and it sounds like, uh, it sounds like uh, a really, like a, a place for a witch to hang out, right? And so, like, when we, we look at this... Um, you know, this was something that was strictly forbidden in the Word, and we see that some things happen here, and, and, and uh, Saul, he goes to see uh, this witch. And so basically, uh, let me kind of just try to recreate the story um, and try to tell it and hopefully bring it to life, and, 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 and it's out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, but what we have is, remember, David is living in Philistine territory. He's under the leadership of King Achish. Um, and the Philistines have decided to go and gather against and get ready for battle against Israel. And partly so, many scholars think that because David had been living over on the other side for over a year, and he'd been doing all this raiding, and Akish was under the impression that he was raiding the Israelites, they kind of felt like they were probably in a weakened state. They knew they didn't have David because David was with them, and so it's a good time to go and, and take them out. And so the, 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 the scripture says that, that uh, King Achish tells David, you're going to go to battle with us. You're, you're going to have to go, and we'll pick up on that later. Um, and, and David says, all right, you're going to be able to see what I can do. And then the, 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 it goes into telling us that just contextually to understand what's going on is that, um, that Samuel has died, all of Israel has mourned, and that Saul at some point in time, had dealt with all the mediums and spiritists in the land. Like he had, he'd, he'd gotten rid of all of them. He had forbidden it. And it was something that God had said to do, is that the, the, you weren't to go and, and seek out any information from, from that kind of sorcery and wickedness. And so Saul had dealt with that. And so here we are, is that we kind of just enter Saul's mind and try to picture what's going on with him. Well, one of the things that's going on is he's, he feels his kingdom slipping away because he's been, he's been told that that's what's going to happen because of his disobedience. Um, he knows he doesn't have a, a strong fighting force. He's been using all of his resources to try to take David out instead of take, taking care of the kingdom like he was supposed to. So he was wasting the resources uh, that God had entrusted to him on his own selfish interests. And I think there's a whole sermon there in that. Um, and and the, the, the army is probably not feeling really confident, and David is over on the other side, and so the Philistines come and they start to gather at Shunem uh, against uh, the, the Israelites, and, and Saul gathers all of his um, army together at Gilboa, and when he sees the Philistines, like he looks out at them and he sees them, he is terrified. He is tormented in his spirit. He is afraid. And so, like, he, he's so scared, like, he doesn't know what to do. And so he, he goes and he inquires of the Lord. 
And the Lord doesn't answer him. The Lord doesn't answer him through a dream. The Lord doesn't answer him through Thuman. The Lord doesn't answer him through a prophet. And so he decides that he's going to go and see a witch or a medium. And so he asks his servants, he asks the guys close to him, he says, find me a witch. Find me a medium that I may go and inquire of her. And so they said, man, there, there's one in Endor. Like, they knew immediately that there, where one was at. And so Saul decides that he's going to go and see her. So he waits until nightfall so that he could slip past even where um, the Philistines are at, and he can go see this woman um, trying to figure out what should he do because he hasn't heard from the Lord. And remember, D David is constantly asking from the Lord for direction, and the Lord has just given it to him. And, and so he goes and he makes his way. He puts on a disguise, and he had to disguise himself because he had forbidden sorcery. He had forbidden this kind of practice um, because God said that it was forbidden. And so he did that thing, and now he's, having, he's wanting to go seek information from one, and, and he makes his way in disguise with only two other people. There's three of them, and they're on their way to Endor, and they come up to a, a place. We don't know exactly what the house looks like, but I can just imagine what a witch's house might look like, right? A little scary. And they knock on the door. Yes? We heard you're a witch. No, no witch. Don't you know Saul's forbidden all that sorcery and witchcraft? They said, no, we heard you're a witch. Call, we need, you to, we need your services. He said, no, like you're, put, you're wanting me to put my life at risk. And he says, no, 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 we swear to you. We swear, and, and so emphatic, Saul says, I swear to God. Now understand, he's in disguise. She doesn't know who he is. I swear to God that you will not, any, no harm will be done to you. We're not going to do anything to trap you. We need some information, and we believe that you are the person to give it to us. And so they, they were known, uh, 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 mediums were known as owners of a pit. Because what they would do is, and, and probably this woman, as they, they went in and it's dark, there's no electricity, she probably has a candle or two lit, and she has a place in her house where probably there is a pit dug out in the ground. And she calls forth to the dead out of that pit. So they're there, and, 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 and Saul in disguise says, I want you to call forth Samuel. And so Samuel is dead, the prophet of God, and she starts to do her chanting, whatever it is. You could just imagine the scene and, and the wickedness and how foreign it would have been to them. But here he is needing information. He's desperate, and he's driven to this point in his life. And as she starts doing her chant and stuff, all of a sudden, Saul is waiting in anticipation, and she begins to see something. And she, Saul says to her, what, 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 what is it you see? And she says, I see, I see a man, an old man in a robe coming up out of the ground. And immediately as he begins to come up out of the ground, she screams in terror. She's terrified. And she sees that it's Samuel, and, and, and it's revealed to her that this is Saul in her house. She knows, without even looking beyond the disguise, through this experience, she knows that this is Saul. And she says, you have deceived me. You are Saul. She says, okay, it's okay, it's okay. Tell me, tell me what he says. And this conversation ensues via this woman who is talking supposedly to Samuel. And 
He begins to ask of Samuel what he should do. And and Samuel says to him, why have you disturbed me? Why have you brought me up? And he says, well, I went and I sought the Lord. I saw him through the the Thummim, and he's not sent me any um, dreams, or no prophet has said a word, and I, I need to know what to do. I'm scared to death. I'm facing the Philistines, and I don't know what to do. And the message comes, and it says that, um, he says that the response is, you are not getting any information from the Lord because you have disobeyed God, and the kingdom is going to be torn from you. It's going to be given to your neighbor. David is going to get the kingdom, and you are going to die, and your son's with you. And he falls to his face on the ground. And the thing is over. And so the lady is looking, and she's like terrified by just what what just happened. And so she doesn't know what to do. Everybody else in the room is probably freaking out a little bit, and Saul is just laying face down on the ground and won't get up, probably weeping like a baby. And the woman says, you need to eat. And he hadn't eaten in some time. And he refused, it says. And she persuaded him along with the men, and, they, and she's saying to him, hey, you, you need to eat and get out of here. <laughs> like, she just knows, like, he's about to die. I want this dude out of my house. She's scared even as a witch. Something powerful has happened that she's never experienced before. And so he finally concedes, and she goes, and she takes the calf, a fattened calf that would have been used to um, probably mill the corn or whatever it was that they were growing. And it, like, you didn't do this during this time. You did not go and butcher a calf unless it was a special occasion. And so this was a big deal for her to do this. She butchers a calf, she makes some bread, and they eat, and they're on their way. And so you look at that man, and it's like, oh. like I've read this, uh, I've read this passage of Scripture and just kind of been like, man, what? What is going on here? Can people talk to the dead? Well, evidently this woman did. And we see it happening here, and there's some difficulty with the text. And if you study it, you'll see that some think that it was God controlling all of it. Um, And then there are others who fall in another camp who think that it was sorcery and witchcraft, and this woman was engaged in it, and she was doing it. But it wasn't actually... Samuel that was speaking. I probably tend to fall more in line with that because it's hard for me to reconcile how uh, a a, a witch would be able to like communicate some of the things and the, the, the experience of how it happened and what like 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 it's troubling as you look at it. And so when we look at this and we go, okay, I mean, this is a great story, man. Like, I like this story, Jimmy. Thanks for telling it. But what the heck does it have to do with me this week as I go downtown and work? Like, I'm, I don't know any witches. Well, it has to do with sin, okay? The story has to do with sin. It's all about sin. And what is sin? We like to classify sin, and we have to like to say, well, if you do this, like, well, if you get drunk, you have sinned. The Bible clearly says that's a sin. But the Bible also says if you gossip, you have sinned. Um, the Bible says a lot of different things are sin. There's sexual immorality that is sin. But then it also says that if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. So what is sin? To me, sin, um, and to the Scripture, the way I interpret the Scripture, 
is falling short. It's, it's missing the target. The word is, the Greek word is harmartia, and it means like missing the mark, falling short. And so to me, sin is rebellion. Rebellion from what? Rebellion from the king and his kingdom. And so rebellion from what God wants you to do in your life, whether it be what he wants you to avoid or what he wants you to engage in, that's sin. If God is calling you into something and you know clearly what the scripture teaches and you don't do it, um, then you're sinning, okay? And so like we look at the, the scripture and we see that, that um, like sin is not listening and obeying the voice of God. Now, we're engaged in discipleship here at this church. Why, why, are, why are we so committed to the discipleship process? Well, one is because Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. You can't get any clearer that, than that. If we're not making disciples, guess what? We're sinning, right? You, you, if you're told to do something and you don't do it, then you're, not, you're falling short of what God has told you to do. And if Jesus is God, which we believe in the flesh, and he's told us to do that, then we ought to be about making disciples. And so one of the reasons we're so committed to it is because the king has said, this is what you should do. The second reason, and I think the reason the king tells us to do it and to be active and engaged in it, is because in the discipleship process, we can begin to recognize sin in our lives. It's very easy to get, um, and when you're out of it and you're not intentional about walking with people and really surveying your life, you could be caught up in sin and not even know. And so like in discipleship, like you are able to really dig into the meat of your life and begin to ask yourself some questions about where you may be rebelling in the kingdom and so that you can repent and believe and move on the other side of the freedom, the freedom side of life, and you can walk in that as opposed to walking in prison. So it's, it's like a very intentional process and not leaving people in a place where they're walking in sin. Why is that important? Well, look at this dude. Like this dude had some serious stuff go wrong in his life because he tried to walk out what he wanted to do alone in his own thinking, in his own mind, doing things the way that he wanted to do them. And so like when we, we look and we go, why is discipleship important? It, because, because it helps us to understand where sin is. Now, as we talk about sin, let me, let me clarify before we jump into to, to the meat of, of the application and, and what I think the Lord is trying to say to us. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that we are not to practice sin, but yet it teaches that we do sin, but then it says that we are not to practice it. So what is going on? Well, what is going on is that there is a life that we can live where we are, we are willingly engaged in sin and we're just staying there, or there's a life where we're recognizing sin in our, our lives and we're turning away from it. And every time we see it, we're trying to turn away from it. And so I would say to you that this morning, as I preach the word, like, I, I'm not perfect. I, I sin. But what I'm also going to tell you is I don't willingly walk in sin. There's not sin in my life that I'm willingly walking in and turning away from the Lord and just saying, oh, overlook that. That's not a big deal. I'm trying to listen to the voice of God. And as he speaks to me and convicts me, I'm trying to walk out in obedience what he is calling me to do. And so like when we think of, uh, of, of what this scripture is calling us to do, we want to be people who are not walking in sin. And we're looking and we're recognizing, we go, I don't want to walk in sin. Now, when you walk in sin, there are consequences, and we can see them very clearly in Saul's life. And, and, and that's why we call this series The Fall of Saul. 
Like he just continues to fall. Like he just continues to descend until ultimately it leads to his, his destruction. And here, here are some of the takeaways. When you walk in sin, you can't hear the Lord. Like you can't hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice, they listen, and they follow me. But when you start to walk in sin and you go like, I'm just going to walk in this and I'm just going to keep like expecting that the Lord's going to overlook it, you're not going to be able to hear from the Lord. The Lord is going to say things to you and you're not going to be able to hear. Your heart is going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. That's why in discipleship we want to bring you to that point and go, look, man, what is God saying to you? And what are you doing about it? Because if you don't do something about it, your heart is going to get so hard that you're going to get into a place where you can't even hear from the Lord. And this, this is really important. God did not answer Saul because of disobedience. Saul ran through the motions. Like Saul said, I, it says that he inquired of the Lord. If you read the scripture there in, in chapter 28, it says that he inquired of the Lord. But there is no way um, that he could have expected to hear an answer. As a matter of fact, um, I believe that Saul was double-minded. And remember what the book of James tells us, that we cannot, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's where Saul is at. He inquires of the Lord, but he already has an alternate plan. He doesn't expect that the Lord's going to answer. He's already thinking through his mind, I'm going to throw up a prayer here, and if I don't hear from God, I'm going to find me a witch to figure out what I should do next. Now, why would, you, why would I suppose that, that Saul could not expect to hear from the Lord? Because in the Old Testament, there are three ways, primary ways that God spoke to you. It is through dreams, that is direct revelation. And through the grace of God, God would speak to you through a dream. We see it happening all the time in Daniel's life. We see it in Joseph, very special people God would speak to in powerful ways through dreams. And so um, we, we see God speaking to people through dreams. The second way would be through the Urim and the Thummim. Now, going back to the first way, when God's speaking through dreams, that required a lot of grace, like a lot of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So when we see God speaking to people in dreams, one of the things that characterizes their lives is they have an intimate relationship with God. Like Joseph, man, he knew the Lord, he followed the Lord, he walked in obedience. David knew the Lord, he followed the Lord, he walked in obedience. Daniel knew the Lord, followed the Lord, walked in obedience regardless of what everyone else was doing. He didn't care. Like what was most important to him was God. And so the Lord would speak to him in dreams. And so he had an intimate relationship. We do not see that in Saul. Saul is not listening to the Lord. He's not walking with the Lord. And so there's no way that the Lord is going to, he's going to be able to discern through the power of the Spirit when God is sending him a dream or whether he just had some spicy food last night that's making him like dream something crazy, right? Like sometimes we have dreams and sometimes it's because of what we ate and sometimes it very well may be that God is trying to rouse us in our sleep to say something to us. And so, like, we, he, he couldn't have expected to have had a dream. And then the second way is the Urim and the Thummim. And this was a way in which they would derive an answer from the Lord that I taught you a couple of months back. They would call the high priest, and the high priest kept the Urim and the Thummim in his, the breastplate. And he would pull it out, and he would use it, and they would seek out an answer from the Lord. Remember what um, Saul did at Nob? Through the guy by the name of Doeg, the Edomite, he killed all the priests. Remember that? Only one of them remained. He killed the high priest. He killed all these other people. And the rest, the one that got away fled. And guess where who he's with? David. 
So there was no high priest to call and bring for the call for the Urim and the Thummim. And the third way was the prophet. But the prophet Samuel had rejected him. And the prophet Samuel had told him he is walking in disobedience. And so this is what was going to happen. And so he already knew what God had said in, in that capacity. And so uh, <laughs> what's ironic about Samuel is that Samuel also led the school of prophets. So all of the prophets would have been in the camp with Samuel. All of the prophets that were going to be able to hear from God. So there's no way that Saul could have expected to hear from uh, the, the ways that God would speak to you because his heart had gotten so hard in disobedience, he cut all those avenues out of his life. Well, guess what? In the New Testament, we see that God only speaks through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. You say, well, I thought you just said that sometimes you might have dreams. I might have a dream. Sometimes I might have a dream, and I feel like God is trying to say something to me, but you know what that dream always drives me to? The Word. Like, I would never like, have a dream and not like, try to feel like the, the, the dream was not leading me to something that I need to figure out in my life. I would never have a dream and say, oh, well, God just said this to me in a dream. God does not reveal any new information now. The, the, the time of revelation has been closed. All that we need is in the Word. And this is why in discipleship, we're always challenging people to be in the Word so that you know what God has revealed. So you could be sensitive to what He's saying. And as you're sensitive to what He is saying, you could have a dream and you could make an interpretation out of that dream from the Word. But you should never have a dream and just make an interpretation on your own, okay? Or with one of your friends or with somebody on Facebook. If you have a dream and you go, man, I had this dream last night, and da -da 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 -da, what do you guys think it means? you are going to get some crazy responses, okay? And so, like, if, if God does speak to us in a dream, it's, it, it's going to be always checked against the Word. But guess what happens when we start walking in sin? If God, like, God speaks to us through His Word, through His Spirit, and through His people, guess what happens when we start walking in sin willingly and compromising? The first thing to go is the Word. We're going to cut it out of our lives. One of the reasons it's so difficult to be in the Word all the time is because the Word will cut stuff out of your life. And you, you think that you don't like to read it sometimes because you don't have time. But the reason you don't like to read it is because the devil knows that it is powerful and active like a double-edged sword, and it will cut the stuff out of your life that needs to be cut out. Some of you, like you've said, I don't really believe in this Jesus thing at all. Some of you younger people have said, I don't really, I don't know, like my parents, they, they go to church. I don't know if I buy into it. You've never even been in the Word. Like, you know what that is? That's a moron. Amen. To say I reject something I don't even know, never have even dived in, dove into to see if it, it, it is there. And so like, like sometimes that's, that's why we reject it. And, and, and so like we will cut it out of our lives because we know that it will cut things out of our lives that we may want to hold on to. And so the enemy knows that as well. And so he will challenge us with distractions and he will try to come against us to keep us out of the word because the word is alive and active and it goes to work on us. It performs a spiritual surgery and it starts to move. We will cut um, people out. Like we start, we, like, notice how when you walk in sin, how hard it is to come to church. Like, now, again, I want to be very careful. All of us are sinners. But there's a difference in walking in outright rebellion and committing sin when you're in the kingdom. 
When you commit sin and you're in the kingdom and you realize you've committed sin, you feel the conviction of the Spirit of God from which you are sensitive to His voice because you've been in the Word and you've been praying and He convicts you and you repent of your sin and you walk away from it and you keep working through that and you get some people around you to help you. But if, if you don't, then it's easy, it's easy to start cutting people out of your life. You don't want to be around people in the church anymore. Why? Because they're not walking in sin, and you are, and you feel guilty when you're around them. Hello? Why do people say, man, when I go to church, I feel judged? Because the Spirit of God is judging you. Thank God. If the Spirit of God didn't judge Jimmy Holbrook, man, I would be a mess. Like, it's not people judging us. It is the condemnation of the Spirit that we feel because He will not let us willingly walk in sin, okay? And so, like, we go, well, wait a minute. In there Scripture that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That's right. We're not condemned, like, eternally from the, uh, uh, the Lord, but the truth of the matter is, is that it also says that, whom a father loves, he chastens. And, and the Hebrews teaches us that God is our father, and if we are his children, he will chasten us. And so he's not going to let us walk in sin without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and, and, and truth. And so he goes to work in our lives, and we feel convicted. And so, like, we will cut that out. And so that's what walking in sin does. And we need to be very aware of this. And so, um, like, we, we need to be sensitive to his word, sensitive to his spirit, and sensitive to his people. Now, when Saul didn't get what he wanted, he made a date with the devil. Like, he couldn't get the information he wanted. He wasn't, like, he was like, man, I, like, this ain't working for me. I got to have some information. It's a desperate situation that I'm in. I have a crisis before me, and he goes to see a witch. When you walk in sin, you will seek information from evil sources. That's the next step. Like when you start walking in sin, you will start to seek out information from evil sources. Now, watch this. Saul removed witchcraft from the land, but not his heart. That's the problem. He removed it. Like it, it was right in his mouth, but it wasn't right in his heart. And so since he couldn't get information from heaven or earth, he turns toward hell. That's what we see him doing. It's an evil source. Turning to anything but the Lord always leads to disaster. If you seek out something apart from the Lord, you're walking down a road that's only going to lead to disaster. Um, and, and so Saul turns to a witch, and things go from bad to worse. It was that he was just terrified about the Philistines, okay? But now he's being told through this witch, you're going to die. Like, you're about to die right now, and your sons are going to die with you. That's what's going to happen in this battle. And so things went from bad to worse, and he committed a capital offense. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, God said in the law when it was given that might like cut off from the people anyone who goes to see a, a, a medium. Goes to, and why was God so serious about that? Because people were seeking information from a source other than himself. And if he is God, does he not have the right to say, you only seek me for the source of information? That's what he's saying. And so there, there, it was a capital offense for him to um, commit this crime. And ironically, in less than 24 hours, he was dead. 
Like God judged him and dealt with him in that moment. So when we walk in sin, the same thing will happen to us. We will begin to seek out evil sources. We may not go to a witch, but we will go to someone who says something that we want to hear. And we will, that's all he was looking for. Give me something that I can get behind and get passionate about. That's what he was trying to get. When you walk in sin, you persuade others to join you. Saul promises with an oath not to betray this woman. She says, don't you know that that Saul has forbidden? Again, he's disguised. She doesn't know this. Saul has forbidden this kind of practice. And he promises with an oath. He swears to the God that created him, that Israel's God, whom Israel was chosen to tell the world what God is like, and he swears to that God that nothing will hurt, hurt her. It was his duty as king to punish her, but he swears not to harm her. Like it was his duty in the kingdom to deal with this stuff. And he persuades her to join him. Now, so how do, we, how do we persuade others to join us when we walk in sin? When you walk in sin, we persuade by living lies, and that's what he was doing. You start living a lie, and guess what will happen to your children? They will live the lie with you. Like they will just get caught right up in the midst of it. So if you've got something that you're walking in sin in your life, like don't be surprised if your kids don't start walking in it as well. Like don't be surprised if your, your, your friends don't start walking in it as well. And, and other people who are not walking with God, guess what will happen if you, if you constantly immerse yourself around those people and you don't get any people around you who will challenge you to walk with the Lord, then you will be persuaded by them to walk in sin. Why? Because they're living a lie, and the more you hang out in a lie, the more you kind of start to believe the lie. That's the way it works. And so like we look at that, we go, whoa, man, walking in sin is, is dangerous. Yes, it is dangerous. Um, Here's, the, here's, here's where it gets even more terrifying. When you walk in sin, you're tormented by it. Like you're tormented by the sin you're walking in. Had this, this is where I, can, I think I, I, I see that this is not Samuel, because I think if, it's, if this had been Samuel and he said, what, what should I do? Samuel probably would have said, man, what you need to do is realize that you've lost the kingdom you need to bring David home. You need to repent. You need to believe God, and you need to go home and just work the cattle and quit fighting against what the Lord wants to do in your life. Like, it's already done. This has already happened. These are the consequences. But he doesn't, man. And, and, and it's hard for me to, like, look at this and go, man, there's this evil thing is, is engaged in this. And, and, but I begin to see, like, um, the evil spirit drives him to despair ultimately suicide. Like he takes his own life in a couple of chapters. He's hopeless. And so he goes to the evil source and the evil source just drives home the hopelessness. David will be king. You are going to die an enemy of God. I'm reminded of Judas in the New Testament. And see, I see the same tactics. A person who begins to believe a lie that is whispered to him, and it leads him to hopelessness. And you go, well, wait a minute. This, like, this spirit, this Samuel here, this, like it's communicating what God said would happen, and that's what actually happened. Let me remind you that 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen teaches us that even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. We know the man went to an evil source. 
to seek out information. And he's getting it. But we, mu- we must see this in the Scripture, is that even evil can't come against the truth of God. And when the devil is done tempting us with sin, he will torment us with it. And that's what I see happening. Saul went, and he, all he desired, like, like get this, he goes to the evil source, and all he desired was to be told a plan of what to do. And all he was told is what he did wrong. And that's what the devil will do to you, man. Like He will just tell you over and over and over and over and over how wrong and screwed up your life is. See, had he turned to the Lord and stayed there, he said, well, he did turn to the Lord. Yeah, but he didn't stay. If God doesn't answer you, you know what your job to do is? Wait until you get an answer. You just keep holding on and you keep waiting and you keep believing and you keep trusting and God will reveal to you what you are supposed to do. But you don't seek out another source or it will equal disaster in your life. And then ultimately, when you walk in sin, you lose your strength. He fell face to the ground as though already dead. Now, here's the irony of it. They managed to get him up. And this just blows me away. And I think this is like what, what it's like to live in prison and keep ignoring God as he continues to call out to us. They get him up. They kill this calf. The lady butchers it, which we know would have been something that was only done on a special occasion. She offers up a meal that is fit for a king. But it's the wrong kingdom. This is the last meal this man will eat. He will die before the night is over. He has no strength. And so like we look at him and go, oh, What's the big idea? Posture is important. This is what I I want you to walk out of here with this this one thing, okay? Posture is important. Sin is nothing to be toyed around with. It is dangerous. And so like when we start walking, we go, oh man, it's not that big a deal. Man, if the Lord is convicting you, you need to hold up. Like listen, listen. And, and realize he's trying to say something to you. And, and when it comes to this whole idea that I'm trying to get you to, like, just I want us to wrap our minds around, you are either posturing toward or away from the Lord. And so when we ask, okay, like, what, what, what's going on in a person's life? There's no expectation that anybody's going to be perfect. So, like, there, that's not what I'm saying. But there is an expectation if you're going to call yourself a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you need to be turned toward him. Okay, that's your posture, not away from him. And so as we look and we go, okay, well, how do we know, like when we're trying to analyze how we use people in leadership positions, are you postured toward the Lord? Not are you perfect, like, man, I'm not perfect. Like, Abby will tell you that, amen? But she will also tell you that one thing about me is I'm postured toward the Lord. And so that when the Lord shows me where I've, I've blown it, man, I, I can hear him. I'm not postured away. I'm not ignoring what he's trying to say to me. James, the, the, the brother of Jesus, says in verse uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 4, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you posture toward him. 
He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know what our problem is a lot of times is the enemy really trips us up is we don't draw near to God. We turn away. And so God can't draw near to us because we won't listen. Whereas we got like we don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. So like posture is important. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus said. Repent and believe. And just keep that posture. And 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 like go when when you find yourself like struggling in areas of your life, you just ask, where am I not postured toward the Lord? And you will begin to see it'll bring clarity to your life. This is the big difference between David and and Saul. Saul was postured away from the Lord. David was postured to him. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.